one of us has to start talking. <laughs> this is Tony. <laughs> now he's laughing now at we, me. Now we have to flip for who it's going to be. <laughs> now I'm going to start. This is Tony Burns. This is Scott Burns. <laughs> and together we are. <laughs> Love in America, coming to you from the crooked, crooked little, little house. house in Deadwood, South Dakota. <laughs> When we're working out on the coast, especially when we're, for some reason, out on the East Coast, and we yes. say we're from South Dakota, you, you can see the wheels turning in people's heads where they try to locate that on their mental map. and then It's square it, or rectangular. Yeah, eventually they give up and go, oh, you're, it's one of those. It's one of those. You're, you're sort of West, but you're not really California. So. Which is funny because, you know, people will refer to it as flyover country. What does that mean? Well, when you're flying from one coast to the other, uh -huh. the whole middle part of the country where people that are on the coast oftentimes don't see is the part that they fly over. Oh, so oh. they call it flyover country. But no, here <laughs> we're not even flyover country here uh -uh. because we're not uh, we're not underneath any major jetliner no. air paths. That's a hard thing to get used to when we first came out here. Yeah, when planes fly over out here, people still look they up. They actually stop. They stop what they're doing and look up. And it's Bob in that yellow crap duster again. <laughs> Isn't he the same guy that drives the plow? The plow, exactly. Gotta be, gotta be. So. <laughs> but you said there's other other, well, other news. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, because, you know, local news here, just it's a little bit different flavor than the big city where yeah. we come out of. Yeah. And, and so I just thought it was interesting when the vandalism report hit the Black Hills Pioneer. Oh, this should be good. The uh, Homestake Mine, just uh -huh. south of Lead, has uh -huh. powder buildings that were built. What's a, a powder building? Powder buildings for explosives. Oh, for the, okay. For I thought, well, how do they last if they're built no, with you, power? You put powder. big brick buildings okay. up and you put them away from where people are. And, that, and then you put uh, lots of explosives in them. And that way if things Blowy blow up. things. Yeah, it just blows up the forest and not the town. And okay, well, so at least it saves the So they have these the abandoned powder buildings, uh -huh. which have been converted into party spots. Oh, no. Because Why people... does that not surprise me? <laughs> so, Gotta do something rather, for entertainment. Rather than going and tearing the building down, uh -huh. a group of people broke into one and used the uh, surplus building material that was stored inside to build a bar. <laughs> <laughs> they took the... They took the Bureau of Land Management padlocks off the buildings and replaced them with their own padlocks. Uh-huh. Built a bar inside and locked it up so they had a place for the... Oh, my gosh. That's hysterical. Yeah. So what else is going on? Well, there's uh, we got uh, local news here mm -hmm. in the house, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty local. Uh -huh. It doesn't get much more local than that. Yep, yep we, we've got... Right our, there at your feet, in Right? Fact. The, yeah, literally. Yeah, no, we... We got a couple of new additions to the Love in America family, and that is Dude and Monty, four or five month old Border Collie mixes. One of the good things and bad things about the Border Collies is they're really flippin' smart. And it took us, what, two days to potty train them, to indoor train them? But you had a unique way of training them. I did? Yeah. What did because, I do? Well, every time they had to pee, they got to oh. fly. <laughs> yep. And I don't, well, I mean, he didn't initial, like throw them. It's the initial reaction, you know, because yeah. you don't want to strike, especially no. a puppy. You don't want to. No. And they don't know when they're doing something and you right. smack them for it. They just right. know. They just know you're smacking them. <laughs> yeah. So, it, but I don't want to pee in on the floor either. <laughs> so when they would start, yeah, I'd grab them and take them outside. So as far and as he, they knew, every time you pee, you get airborne. Oh, they was, had they had no idea they had that kind of thrust. Yeah. It's a, wow, I have this power. Well, the funniest thing is the first time that Monty saw a crow when we were walking downtown, and he looked up and stopped and just stared at the crow, and I could almost see the little wheels in his head spinning going, oh, did he just pee? <laughs> 
Birds must be That's, alive. They pee harder than I do. Oh my gosh, that was hysterical. But yeah, they they've since become our sort of little uh, love in America mascots. People had started to know us. Now they know us by the dogs. Well, anyhow, we got a bunch of stuff coming up that we hope you're so excited about that you'll fly. We have a feature coming up for you from uh, the last drive-in yes. 1950s drive-in theater in the United States, run by a fabulous couple. Yes, indeed. Um, outside Driggs, Idaho. Uh, Tony has a, a love and history coming up for you today, which Absolutely. deals with... It deals with Hollywood's golden couple. We've oh. got our narrative from our book, Love in America, The Roads to Happily Ever After. Yep. And that's going to answer the question, does everyone really know it's windy? And on that <laughs> note, we'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> Our feature today comes to you from Driggs, Idaho, yes, which indeed. is a little town just on the Idaho side of the Idaho-Wyoming border yep. from uh, Jackson, Wyoming and Jackson yes, Jackson Hole, which are absolutely stunningly beautiful. The and whole stunningly expensive. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Flying into Jackson on your private jet for... <laughs> For shopping and skiing and... And all the other wonderful things you can do out there. Then you'd be staying in Jackson. And mm -hmm. if you're cross-country touring the United States on Harley-Davidson motorcycles... On the collecting cheap. love stories on, on the borrowed cheap. money... Um, <laughs> You would be staying with us in Driggs. Yes, you and would. And we you were, would love it. You well, Especially if you stayed at the Spud. Yes. With a like a three-ton potato sitting on a... Yeah, in a two-ton truck. Yep. Sit right out in front. says Old Murphy on it. Yes. Now, the Spud Drive-In was built in the late 1950s. Katie and Jed Mum are the current owners. Yes. Um, wonderful, delightful, oh. young Mormon couple. Mm -hmm. With um, a child. With At a least child. one the last time we saw them. Uh -huh. Just For, gracious people. Very friendly. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> allowed us to sit there with the, the bedroom windows open that in our was Airbnb fun. suite, lay on the bed and watch Mission Impossible over the drive-in screen. But um, <laughs> Katie and Jed have, how would, how would you describe them? They were just a really down-to-earth. Yeah, Jed's a dude. Company. Jed is a Jed. Jed a, would like dude. He's, he's a, a total, total dude. dude. He's he's a border, <laughs> and and he really is. He is a dude. He is so funny. Yeah, he had the funniest thing to say about when we asked people, "What's the funniest, most unusual, or most memorable oh. date?" So like, I set up this like kind of little date. Oh yeah. She came over to my house. I gave her. I had some dinner, and then we went out. I wanted to take her out on the back porch, and kiss her under the full moon and the stars because it was pretty. And so it's just a beautiful night in the full moon. I got her to stand on my toes as we were kind of dancing on the back porch for fun. And she committed to her sister not to kiss me for like three weeks Let after. Let me tell her why. Because I, Anyways. I was with my sister and I was telling her about Jed. And I just thought, he's just, I don't know why he's going for me. I don't know if he's playing me. He's just too cool. He's, just, <laughs> he's the coolest, greatest guy. Anyways, and so she said, well, don't let him kiss you then. <laughs> so, so I denied him on the porch under a full moon, dancing yeah. on his toes. <laughs> and it was just like an awkward moment. Cause like, <laughs> I could tell she wanted to, but then she just like tucked her head in my shoulder. And it's, like, <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever, awkward. And then so it's kind of been a joke ever since. Like when we see a full moon, we'll, I'll go to give her a kiss and I'll just kind of move to the side. He always dodges me in the full moon. <laughs> Never it's just for fun. He's doing most of the teasing. She's doing most of the face palming. <laughs> 
But yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting to hear, uh, you know, as we've talked to people across the United States about how the relationships work, how you keep things together. What uh -huh. One of the questions that we commonly ask has to do with the afterlife. Right. The, for, of, the afterlife of love. Of love. You know, not what do you think happens to individual people or right. souls or spirits, but, but that, what do you think that happens energy, to... That energy, that... Right, to the relationship. It's been interesting to me to hear how the different religious points of view across mm -hmm. the United States have answered that question yes. because you have people like the Mormons and the Baha'i, right. uh, people that look at relationship marriage as being something that is eternal. Right. There is no until death do you part. It's forever. Mm -hmm. Also interesting to me, I thought, to hear the very common anxieties yes. that, that Katie yes. said, you know, before you make a decision that you think is going to affect eternity. Right. In our faith and what I believe that I was choosing someone to spend the rest of eternity with, not just this life or a few years. We do believe that families are forever and our marriages are forever. So at the end of our, in, in our wedding vow or the person doing the wedding. It doesn't end in death you part. It ends for time and all eternity, which is a beautiful thing. Well, and she was looking for some kind of assurance. Oh, she was, know, yeah. So. She'd actually made some comment about she wanted that aha moment. I always waited for, I wanted an answer from God that this was the person I was going to marry. And I'd heard stories of people getting that answer on their wedding day. And so I thought maybe that's when I'll get it. And I never did. When I didn't get it, it terrified me because I was now married and didn't have, never got that. But it's still, I still firmly believed that I need to make the choice to make it, you know, and it was wonderful. And, and the only hard thing was the doubt in my mind, not the marriage itself. All the way up to the altar, she's going, waiting, I'm waiting on that sign. <laughs> But then like like so many other things in life and a relationship, she found out that the answer that she needed yeah. wasn't the one she'd expected. No, and, and it didn't come for almost two years. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like a much better one than she was anticipating. Absolutely. I do think that maybe I didn't get that answer that I, the big voila answer because God wanted me to be aware of my marriage every day and to be making that choice every day instead of just saying yeah it was right you know I think instead I've had to make a choice every day and that's what's made it so good they also had um, I thought one of the sweetest takes on the the question that we call the card which is uh, if you know a young couple or any couple it doesn't have to be a young couple that are thinking about making that long-term commitment instead of wedding presents they have asked people that come to the wedding to give them a piece of advice on a business sized card and basically all this goes goes into a fishbowl and when they're in the middle of a really difficult situation when you know you're both throwing your hands up in the air going this is not going to work I'm out of here you can pull this little piece of advice out of this big fishbowl of people giving you advice to help you get through those really really tough moments I would say it has the same thing to do with what how I love my children how I would love my mom you don't just go to your mom and say, I'm going to divorce you, you know? I mean, it would say, look for what's beautiful in them because that's how, that's how we all are lovable is because we all have something to offer. I like to think about it as a garden. If you don't weed it, it goes to pot. But you can always go back and weed it and make it look good again. So don't let the weeds get big. 
So my, so if you're ever in Driggs, Idaho, and especially if you're looking for a place to stay or you just want to go to a drive-in theater, definitely go check them out. It's a lovely young couple. It's a great drive-in. And if you need a place to stay because you want to go to Jackson's Hole and can't afford to stay there, it's an awesome Airbnb as well. Wave at them as you go by. And we're going to go by for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with Tony's Love and History. Nice. If you're loving what you're hearing on Love in America, nearly as much as Love in America is hearing that you're loving what you're hearing on Love in America, keep in mind that you're hearing the edited versions of our full-length podcasts. If you'd like to hear the full story, including features like Loving the Dogs, news from around America, interviews with love songwriters, and the carefree banter that happens in between all this free-for-all, become a patron. You can find information on that at our website, www.lovinamerica.com. I think the reason that Hollywood couples that are long-term stand out so strongly is because it's an industry that's just made, ready-made to, de- to destroy families. Mm-hmm. It, it's too many temptations, too many long times away from home. It, it's just made for that. Well, and I think some of it may be, too. This is pure conjecture on our parts. Because yeah, because we we're not Hollywood starlets we, or anything. We don't have a lot of that you know, performance, entertainment, uh, world anxiety yet, but we're hoping. <laughs> <laughs> but when we did this story on Stiller and Mara, yes. you know, Anne Mara had mentioned how it was difficult for them to maintain the their performance personality right. at the same time as their relationship. Because Especially one was when kind they played with the each other. other. So yep. if you're playing all these different roles and constantly shifting in and out of different characters and different relationships, some of which you're acting, some are in your real, I would think that would be an additional yeah. kind of psychological pressure. Speaking of which, that was a beautiful lead in and you didn't even know it. My story today is about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. They met in 1953, but when their relationship, their friendship came to a head, so to speak, was during um, the filming of The Long Hot Summer. If you get a chance to watch it, it's a 1957, I think, 1957 film. But Paul Newman was this smoldering sex symbol with those piercing blue eyes, and Joanne Woodward was a pretty serious actress. Um, very understated Southern Belle with what, this. What would I have known her in early in her early in her career? She was Eve, the Three Faces of Eve. Okay, she won an Oscar gotcha. for that one. Yep. So she was the Southern Belle with a mop of blonde hair, this gorgeous wide grin that just lit up her whole face. Newman was a drinker, and the, my understanding was he was a drinker pretty much to the very end. But when they first met, some friends claimed that he would drink about a case of beer a day. Um, Joanne, a little different. She had hypotension, so she hardly drank at all. He was also a bit, he's kind of, they were kind of like our dogs, Newman. Can't wait to hear how okay. this one connects. Newman was much more um, playful. He was much. He oh, loved to play okay. pranks. He loved racing cars. Where so he's the dude. Exactly. He's the dude. Where Woodward was much more a woman of, of grace. She was a voracious reader. She didn't. She studied ballet, but not until she became an adult. Hmm. And so, outside of their sexual chemistry, their chosen professions, and their senses of humor, it didn't seem like they had much in common at all. And in fact, when they first met. Joanne really didn't think much of Paul. It was hot and I was sweaty and oh, you go out in those days you had to wear your high heels and your gloves and everything, you know. And I went into my agent's office because it had air conditioning. And I was sitting out talking to a friend of mine who was the, the uh, receptionist. Right. And I was sitting out there and what looked like 
an ad for an ice cream soda. There was Paul in a seersucker suit, which looked so pristine, and a shirt, no sweat, big blue eyes, lots of curly hair, and everything. And I thought, ugh. Oh, that's disgusting. Paul was married when he met Joanne. Who was he married to? Um, I think her name was Jackie Witt, W-I-T-T-E, okay. if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, not an actress, just, just somebody he was married to. They had three kids together. Hmm. And he, he had a much different reaction when he saw Joanne. He was very impressed with her. She was, uh, they had since gone on to do a couple of things together, but they really stayed kind of distant friends. But that friendship developed over a period of years years and then when they did the production of the long hot summer together they went eh, this might be a little more serious than we <laughs> maybe this should be thought. longer and hotter yeah also. well and but speaking of hotter i'm so god you'd almost think that you're leading me into this stuff <laughs> But one of the things that was really cool about the two of them is other people's impression of them. Um, how much that even in their 80s, they were, they were you know, showed public displays of affection. And then he had a very famous um, saying when asked why he didn't step out on his wife, although Joanne wasn't really thrilled about the comparison. On being faithful to his wife, Newman famously remarked, I have steak at home, why go out for hamburgers? <laughs> Newman said that their success was attributed to some combination of lust and respect and patience and determination. And she said, somebody once said, what is your relationship based on? And I said, he's very good looking and very sexy and all of those things. But all that goes out the window finally. And what finally is left is if you can make somebody laugh. What was so special about them and how it worked is they did keep their private life private. Mm-hmm. They they didn't live in Hollywood. They right. lived, they lived in down on the East Coast. Connecticut. The, Connecticut. They lived right. in Connecticut. Uh-huh. And even when it came to family, because he had three three kids from his former marriage, and they had three kids together. So there were times where they were raising six children together. And even outside of, of keeping their private life private, they also kept their relationship a relationship beyond being parents and actors and philanthropists. They had a tree house. No. Not for the kids. <laughs> they built themselves a tree house that was they, their... Did they physically build it themselves? They physically built their tree house that was insulated. <laughs> so year-round, they could go out to their tree house and hang out together. And pull the ladder up so ah, nobody else yes! can come. <laughs> How cool is that? They were married for 50 years, celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary in January. And then in September of 2008, um, eight months later, he passed away from lung cancer. And since then, the family have been very, very protective of their mom. She's never remarried, but their love had something very special that kind of like, uh, in some ways, like... Um, Tandy and Cronin. Yeah, you it, it radiates. You can see it on screen, and people that knew him definitely saw it off screen. I'm going to go have to look up some of these movies. Yeah, well, definitely The Long Hot Summer. It is it is, it is, is a steamy film, especially for the 1950s. Let's watch that one together. <laughs> but it's black and white and we're in color. We're old. We can think in black and white still. That's true. That's true. Yeah, some of my early movies were black and white. <laughs> some of the cartoons we watched. Some of our watched. early home movies were black and white. <laughs>
some of the cartoons we watched as children were black and white. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's move on because this is just making me yeah, feel old. Yeah, you go to the carny and crank up the kinetoscope <laughs> machine and get yourself a tintype photo while you're there. <laughs> What's coming up next, honey? We have one more segment for you, which is a narrative reading from our book, Love in America, The Roads to Happily Ever After. Which you can find on Amazon.com, and you can find links on our website, www.loveinamerica.us. How's that? That was perfect. <laughs> I'm going to hire you. <laughs> Everyone knows it's windy. For 12 of the 20-some years that I'd been teaching and working with kids, I reveled in teaching earth science as well as English. The distinction was fun, as I found there are very few English science teachers out there. Teaching meteorology was always a subject ripe for demonstration and experiment, showing how heat moves when temperature and pressures vary, hot stuff rises, cool stuff sinks, causing movement of liquid or gas in between, a process called convection that was among my favorite science concepts to illustrate. We boiled rice in glass bowls, played with hot plates and food coloring, and burned incense near the old radiating heater in the classroom in order to watch the smoke curl in a great arc, riding the varying air currents in the room. We had only one room in the building that smelled of adolescence, paper, and patchouli, but we also had a very understanding principle. One year, as I was teaching the process and describing how it created the winds that raged outside the classroom windows overlooking our temporary classroom buildings, a violent gust tore the roof off of one, lifting and scattering it in pieces 30 yards downwind. It was the best classroom demo ever. Spare no expense in educating our youth, I say. But I've not always found winds so amusing, perfectly timed or complimentary. Several years ago, Tony and I were accosted by a sustained hot blast riding across the Utah desert that blew sand and dust sideways through our riding glasses and tipped the bikes at 45 degrees to the pavement for hours. Adding in the unpredictable, rollicking swirls caused by semi-truck drafts, it was a punishing experience. We caught a similar storm coming through the Four Corners area including a microburst that flattened the little roadside jewelry booths and tumbled trash cans and toddlers with equal disdain. Even tailwinds can be fickle friends, as they save on gas, but gleefully shove you past the state trooper-friendly seven miles over the speed limit before turning on you while passing trucks. Powerful headwinds rattle and push and have you fighting the road rather than sailing it, while crosswinds tear at your eyewear push your helmet around on your head, and skitter the bike around under you on the road. Add in sand, rain, or crop pollen, and you quickly grasp why, in short, wind is bad. So it was with mixed feelings that we set out from Bemidji, Minnesota to Fargo, North Dakota, a long, beautiful ride over rural country highways, but set amidst a high wind warning and rain that spattered itself across the windows of a sheltering coffee shop and dared us to take the road. That's a dare we'll nearly always accept though, and so we headed out into the rollicking tempest, our gear storm rigged and full leathers donned. The rain wasn't as determined as we'd feared, and the winds tore the clouds apart in the first hour of the ride. The wind owned the day. 
Then, a strange thing happened. Rather than spending all its fury on two foolish explorers, it began using a measure of its power to sculpt the Minnesota trees into waving evergreen dancers, brushing their neighbors with playful abandon to come join the dance. Hundreds of lakes in this land of 10,000 frosted themselves with tiny white caps lacing on their crystal blue. Fields of tall amber grasses and green corn, sunflower and sugar beets rolled like ocean waves, changing and blending colors as the wind ran its fingers through their folds and the sun played in the ever-changing tussles. What should have been the villain of the day, a challenge to be overcome, became instead a creative force bringing earth and sky together in constant change and beauty, its threat coming not from buffeting or the slinging of debris, but from the temptation to stare and wonder at the constant change, at its playful and chaotic kaleidoscope laid across the land. On a bike at 70, staring into rapture is best done forward of one's direction of travel rather than wistfully off to the sides. We survived its temptations, though, and my newfound appreciation for storm and winds on the road invited me to relish its meaning once we'd found our haven for the evening and geared down. It wasn't that I'd never experienced wind before, and it still roughed us up fairly effectively. It was simply that the place in which I found it this time was right, and in those surrounds, I could see it differently. It's constantly amazing to me how a change in perspective so fundamentally alters our understanding, which is why it's so important to not allow too many ruts to guide the courses of our lives. Doing the same things in the same ways on the same days ad infinitum means that life always looks the same and wind is always just wind. Understanding this is one of the reasons why Tony and I lament so deeply for all the people we've encountered who answer what we're trying to do with Love in America with doleful sighs and exclamations of, I wish, I always wanted, or if I could only. I pray that the places these folks experience life will change too and help them see that wishes can become goals, wants become actions. I hope that the wind tussles them a bit too, filling sails and earthing in the ruts that trap them. As we settle in for the evening and I read Tony's post for the day on the meaning of happily ever after for her, the wind still blows outside and reminds me of one more thing. Today was another experience shared, another memory that we've cultivated and planned, then had changed and blown and returned to us in tenfold difference and gratitude. Tony brushes her pigtails out into a bushy mane, grayer now than when we started out, I think, and beautiful. Her carry bags and packs quickly explode across the rented room, as they always do. She walks outside to shake the grit from her bike cover and wipe the worst of the bugs from her windshield. I watch her from the window as the sun sets and she blows another bubble, pulling it from her face and laughing at herself as it bursts in the wind. And that's my happily ever after right there knowing that she shared my joy in this new way of seeing wind today. Her memories are mine, the moments shared, laughing at the same time, seeing the same horizons, making the same mistakes and discoveries that are forever and always uniquely ours. I'm grateful that we've been buffeted together and that different storms and new horizons remain. So 
about one thing, I was wrong. Revealed to me in the rollicking hills and forests of Minnesota and North Dakota, wind is good. Yep, and on that hopeful note. Yes, indeed. That we wraps hope it up. that. Well, no, you messed. You walked over me. Well, not walked. You talked. Now you're not saying anything with that hopeful message. Well, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> yes, I can. I can have my cake and eat it too if it's gluten free. <laughs> what good would cake do you that you couldn't eat? That's a weird saying. It's gluten free. Well, you're right. I can't eat. <laughs> <laughs> so with hope, I was going to say we're hoping you will join us again for the next episode of Love in America. Let's make this a long run. Let's make this a long run.